On today's episode of the 8-Bit Files, John and Dave are going to be talking about, which always sounds weird when I say say that in the third person, uh, one of the most unique and innovative 8-bit gaming consoles of all time, the Vectrex. Let's get into it. The 8-Bit Files with Dave and John. All right, John, I've been really looking forward to this episode because so for a number of reasons. One, we get to talk about one of the most... I would say collectible, sought after, relatively rare, and and probably most uh, one of the coolest, I guess, eight bit video game consoles, home video game consoles ever made. And not only that, but I know it's also one of your favorite things in the world too, at least as far as retro goes. So looking forward to talking all about the Vectrex. So let's. Uh, I'd like. To, why don't we start out just by just explaining what the Vectrex is and uh, you know what what it's all about. Well, this is a really interesting um, uh, self-contained home video game console. It came out in North America in 1982. And uh, the most unique feature about this, and we've talked about this previously, the Vectrex was unique in the sense that when you're a kid and you want to play your video games, uh, especially during the 8-bit era, you had to share your TV with your family. And the Vectrex was the first to come with a screen built in. And it's not just any screen. It's a vector-based screen. It's very similar to an oscilloscope. It's got an X and Y. It almost looks like little um, light trails kind of thing. And it is very common in the arcades, uh, arcade games of the time. Uh, some of the games that uh, you know were, were famous for uh, being this way was things like Tempest, uh, the original Star Wars arcade game, uh, and, and a whole bunch of other ones that utilize this technology in different levels. Uh, the other interesting thing about the Vectrex was that it is a black and white display. It's a little monolithic thing. It looks like a TV that's been turned on its side almost. And the controller connects into it. But because it's a black and white display, it's kind of a you know boring color, uh, for lack thereof. Um, and every game included these little mylar inserts that you slot into the front of the screen and they have little color zones to actually give you the the um, sort of the effect of being in full color in some way obviously if some of your uh, on-screen uh, you know spaceships or whatever veer off of the color zones it's going to just change color to whatever that other color is and uh, so uh, it was it was something that really really captivated me and unfortunately for me in 1982, I was 12, mm -hmm. and uh, it it came out in November. So the whole idea was that it came out just just before Christmas, and it was listed at about uh, 199 US. Mm -hmm. So probably I would say probably back in the day, 200 to 250 bucks Canadian, right? For our Canadian listeners, yep. and it was discontinued in February of 1984. Mm -hmm. Now. I got mine. I wanted one the second I saw it, and but I couldn't afford it right away because this was, you know, kind of in the the heyday of the game console era, and I already had an Atari, and um, you know, spending all my money on games, and so when I got my first Vectrex, they were actually on clearance because they were discontinued in February of 1984, and the um, uh, this one of the stores uh, 
where I lived in the, at the time in Ontario, they had this, it was a grocery store that also had electronics and housewares and stuff like that. And um, they had this sort of upper loft area in the, uh, in the store that was where they had all the, all the nerdy stuff that I love to go to. So my parents would be downstairs shopping. I would be upstairs, you know, drooling over the technology section. And, but this particular console came in a very large box, like a very large box. Like I want to say the box is almost the size of a, like a, a dishwasher. Like it's, it's a very big box because it's a very fragile screen. So it's an enormous amount of styrofoam, sort of buffering the screen. And I remember going up there once and I saw the magical sign clearance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think I probably got it for 50 bucks, maybe even wow. less. And Wow. You should have bought six of them. Oh, in hindsight, yes. <laughs> but the interesting thing was, is that they were actually, you know, they had a whole section set up. And and one of the things when when the Vectrex launched, they they had a pretty splashy introduction and they had these really kind of interesting ways of displaying the games and the console mm-hmm. itself. It was a vertical um, stand that had glass windows in the front with shelves inside. And then in behind the, the glass of the doors would be a bunch of different cartridge boxes, not unlike an Atari or you know any other game console, video game box. And then on top, there would be um, a the Vectrex itself that you could actually play. And um, they were actually throwing this away at the store because they were clearing it all out they want it and this stuff took up an enormous amount of space and so they i think i I, i'm pretty sure i want to say it was 25 bucks because i i just remember that number for some reason i got the console and they threw in the stand for free oh my god and so for the longest time that was my stand for the vectrex in my bedroom at home and um, when I finally moved out of my house, I had gifted it to my sister. She kind of used it as like a dresser of some kind and um, the, the stand, not the Vectrex. Yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> and, and then I found out years later that she had basically just thrown it out uh, right. when she was done with it. And I, I had to break her heart and tell her that, well, you know, those are worth <laughs> thousands of dollars yes. now. Okay. Um, so... But getting back to the actual console itself, you know, the really unique thing about it was that it was is very self-contained, mm-hmm. and the the controller itself is a very simple uh, four buttons, uh, sort of laid out uh, horizontally, and then there's like a, a really interesting, very common for the the, the era mm-hmm. uh, joystick that's like this little thin narrow stick. Mm-hmm. But what was really cool about the console itself is that there's little grooves on the side of the controllers and they actually slot into the base of the unit and they fold up inside. So it really makes right. it a, a self-contained unit. You you just press a little latch and then you can take it off, pull it out, and um, you can leave it sort of docked close so it kind of looks like an arcade machine. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can pull it out because it's got a, like a, a curly cord and then there's a, a, an on-off volume button inside and there's a little speaker inside too and it has this nice hum sound that uh, when you turn it on it, it sort of boots up and uh, it has that the other really kind of cool thing and this was something that um no one i think had no one had done before is it came with a game built in so mm. if you plug plug it in and turn it on with no cartridge in the slot there's a right. cartridge slot on the right side 
um, it would actually play uh, Mindstorm, which Mindstorm. is kind of like a Asteroids clone. And um, and it, it even included the little Mylar insert for that nice. star field. And uh, I, I just, it was just such a magical console that had such a short lifespan. It was, you know, mm-hmm. basically not even two years before it was discontinued. Yes. And um, it, uh, you know, it was something that, I, I don't know, it, it just was really special to me because of the fact that it allowed me to be self-contained in with my gaming without having to rely on fighting for TV yes. time with my sister and my family. <laughs> now, now going back to, so release date, 1982, November, 1982, you found it, you got your deal at the store. How far into the, the, the two year lifespan of the Vectrex was that halfway? I, I honestly don't know, but I would assume that it would have been before or around February of 1984, maybe 1983, because if these things weren't selling and it was completely discontinued, they probably sold it off much sooner right. than than that, right? right. And, and back in those days, the, those re- retailers would have had to buy them and then sell them at a loss. Right. Um, so but at that time, of course, you mentioned the Atari. You had an Atari 2600. Most the, the picture that I imagined in my head of every Atari that I ever saw at that time was in the living room on the floor in front yeah. of the big cabinet TV. And you're tethered to the family TV. You're using the family TV. But you've got this Vectrex in your bedroom, right? Yeah. Of all things. Did you also consider it somewhat portable? Did you take it to friends' houses and play it? Or did you keep it at home mostly? Oh, absolutely. They actually had, uh, I think, a little case for it uh, mm-hmm. that you could actually take it around with you. But no, it has a like a big handle on the on yes. uh, or a grip on the back of the unit. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to pick up and, and move. Um, the other thing that I was able to do for the first time is mm-hmm. sit in the living room, play my video game and watch TV at the same time. <laughs> right. So, you, you know, uh, multitasking at its earliest age for me. No kidding. Now, did you know anyone else who had a Vectrex back then? At that time? No, no, nobody did. Uh, I is one of those things I just bought immediately. None of my mm-hmm. friends had it. None of my friends knew what it was. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was indicative of the time that just it, they just had a bad launch for it. Mm-hmm. Either it was ahead of its time or it was maybe past its time. This was also around the time that the the video game industry as a whole was kind of starting to implode. Mm-hmm. So it could have just been a little too little too late uh, for people to get into it. Yeah. Um, but uh, th- th- it's just, it was such a neat version uh, yes. of, a, of a game console. And uh, and unlike anything else uh, up until that time, and, and I think pretty much since, like no one's really yeah. done anything quite the same. You know, there, there's a few different little um, tabletop arcade machines like mm-hmm. Arcade 1UP has. Right. That would probably be the closest thing that I would see to something like this, but... This was just truly unique because it was a cartridge-based system and they had a lot of uh, really interesting mm-hmm. actual arcade games that were ported for this unit. So um, yeah, yeah, it was just uh, it was just such a, a fun thing. I'm just reading the, uh, the Wikipedia entry for it and it was conceived by John Ross of Smith Engineering in the late 1980s mm-hmm. or 1980. And, um, and then they... Uh, they went to this um, surplus warehouse in uh, Los Angeles and they found uh, these cathode ray tubes and they were trying to figure out if they could make a video game that would work on it. Mm -hmm. And again, this is, you know, 
the very early day, early days of arcade games and uh, home consoles for sure. Um, so eventually, they they licensed all this technology to uh, General Consumer Electronics (CGE) in 1981, and, uh, and then they basically unveiled it at the Summer Consumer Electronics Show in June of 1982, and uh, just in time for the holidays, like we said, in November of 1982 uh, for 199, and um, and then Milton Bradley bought them out. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know. Thinking to that price point of 199 bucks in 1982, I think I've seen a lot of ads, uh, people posting social media, whatnot, of uh, Atari consoles on sale uh, yeah. from like magazine ads, basically advertising, say Atari consoles, ColecoVision, et cetera. And you're looking at about like sub almost $99 or sub $99 in a lot of cases at that time, if my yeah. memory is correct. So 199, of course, you know, on, on paper in comparison, maybe twice the price of an Atari, which, which came with at least one game as well. But keep in mind, of course, that the Vectrex includes its own, you know, screen monitor TV, whatever you want, or, you know, back then people thought of connecting these things to their TV, but maybe it was too much for people to, the typical average consumer to wrap their head around that, that what this actually was right. Because on the shelves, you mentioned those, or you mentioned the, um, uh, the arcade, uh, arcade one up, no, arcade, the yeah, arcade, arcade, the one, arcade up. one up, arcade one up games. Right. Remember the small tabletop, I think Coleco made a series of tabletop, uh, yeah. LCD or LED, LED based, like say Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, like mini arcade games, which were really cool and are actually highly collectible today. Yeah. I think they would have been probably in the 40 to $50 price range, or maybe even less, probably even less than that back then. But it, they almost have a similar look to the Vectrex in that they've got their own screen, they're self-contained. Maybe people couldn't distinguish one from the other perhaps, right? Like it's, it's kind of funny. I, I feel that to spend that much money on something that people maybe just didn't quite understand, but, but seemingly, you know, very much ahead of its time. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. According to Wikipedia, the 199 launch price is the equivalent to 560 in 2021 dollars. Right. So, you know, that's a PlayStation five, Yes. you know, like it's, uh, or an Xbox, you know, it's, it's up there as far as, you know, it's a lot of money. And um, if they didn't have, you know, a strong game and, 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 We've since learned that a lot of times uh, a game console gets sold by the games that it comes with. Mm -hmm. And when you look at something like the Atari or the Nintendo Entertainment System at, at the time, those had, you know, vivid graphics compared to the Vectrex, which has these crazy, you know, black and white screens with, you know, very rudimentary graphics. You know, it's kind of like how a laser draws graphics, you know, it's mm -hmm. like lines by lines by lines and uh so very stick figure -y. and so i think maybe that also contributed to its to its demise is the fact that it just didn't have the wow factor because it was so limited with this screen but um i think that was also for me that was the charm of it though is that it was different and yes. um they also had a ton of really weird accessories for it as well um they had um a a light pen for it so you could actually um use it and certain um software you could actually draw with it um so you know it's the ability to draw on a screen 
back in that day mm-hmm. was really reserved for, you know, uh, military applications. You know, you see these old movies where they're drawing on, you know, the radar screen with a pen and stuff like that, or, you know, in university computer labs, that kind of thing. So, you know, the fact that they had this fairly inexpensive um, light pen uh, and software for it, um, they also had a 3D imager. Um, so this is something that you would wear on your head, you know, basically like goggles and it would spin a disc, uh, uh, which is half black and half colored. And the, these bands would radiate from the center between the viewer's eyes and the Vectrex screen producing a 3d effect. So then whatever's on your screen would look like it's in three dimensions and your eyes would basically play, you know, um, optical illusions on yourself and they had a whole bunch of games that actually worked with well not a whole bunch they had three (laughs) so they Mm -hmm. had 3d mindstorm 3d crazy coaster which is a roller coaster simulation and 3d narrow escape um, which each of them having their own color wheel so that you could actually change the colors that you would be seeing in these goggles so have you ever did you ever see or have you ever seen either of these peripherals in real life with your own eyes I actually, ha- I think I had the light pen um, hmm. from back in the day. I did not ever see the 3D imager in person. I'm guessing uh, that they are relatively, like the console itself is so rare these days. I imagine those peripherals are not exactly plentiful. And easy no, but, to get a hand. no, but un- but fortunately the technology is not super complex yes. for these things. And yeah. people have made reproductions of these. Yeah. Um, there's actually been quite a lot of reproductions about a, of a lot of things uh, behind the Vectrex. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, going back to the sort of the games yes. uh, for it, um, uh, just trying to find my list. I have a list of games. Why don't you uh, tell me what your 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 favorite two, three, four titles were? Well, my 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 go to uh, has is always Armor Attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you're you're basically it's a um it's an overhead uh you're driving a tank against another or i guess it's a jeep um a, against tanks and helicopters that are trying to shoot you shoot you or blow you up and you're in those like this sort of post-apocalyptic maze kind of thing and you know it, it it's very rudimentary but it's very fun and there's um, a lot of interesting audio cues that really get the adrenaline pumping when you're like you're you're running around and you're trying to like use the angles to shoot uh at these tanks or the helicopter and uh, you hear the helicopter coming before you actually see it mm-hmm. and so that to me that was one of my favorite things to play on on that console it's also an arcade game as well yes. Yes. and um and then the the other one that i, I play, probably played the most uh was something called scramble which is mm-hmm. Uh, basically it's a side scrolling uh you're flying yeah. flying a plane or flying a, a ship and you're you're dropping bombs and shooting um enemies you're also shooting fuel to continue to go and again very faithful reproduction of the arcade version yes. uh and and so you know and they all had the um they, they came with their own color screen overlays. The scramble one in particular was very vivid because it's red, yellow, and green, you know, versus mm-hmm. like Mindstorm, which was just blue. Um, so having these really vibrant colors on these overlays that you just slot in, sometimes I would just leave the same overlay on and play different games because it didn't right. really, doesn't change how the game works or anything like that. So mm-hmm. um, it just, it's, it's a nice, nice um, thing for it. So the, um, the other interesting thing is there's actually a second 
um, joystick port mm-hmm. on on the Vectrex. I cannot remember off the top of my head if it came with two joysticks or you just got one and you had to buy a second one as a separate thing. I think you probably had to buy a separate one. Although I've been lucky enough to have, I still have two Vectri or Vectrex <laughs> uh, in my possession, and I have um, multiple uh, controllers for it. Right. So, um, and you can also just plug in an Atari. Some of the Atari uh, controllers work. It's the same DB9 connection, um, and and some of the some of the games actually work better with something like the the steering controller, or the paddle mm-hmm. controller for the Atari 2600. Right. Now, so the I guess doing the math, this would have been like, would this have been like twelve or thirteen year old John um, with the uh, with the Vectrex back around? Was that that would have been roughly how how old John would have been back then? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for putting a, so, a, so, a date in so, there. So, so how many? So how many? Um, right. How many uh, games did you have back then? Was it easy to get them? Did you get them from the same store you got the console from? That that part of my memory is a little foggy, but I probably had five or six games, and I remember it got harder and harder to find them uh, mm-hmm. once the more I got into the console because the console, of course, was discontinued. The games were still available for quite a while though afterwards because the you know the console was the the big elephant in the room that they had to get rid of mm-hmm. because it took up so much space. The the games you know sit in the delete bin for a while. Right. Um, but I remember trying to track down some of the games that I wanted to try because I knew there was a finite amount of games available for this thing and um, and then uh, not being able to find them or or simply just losing interest in the console because it was one of those things that I, I, I think I probably liked it. I, I liked owning it more than I actually liked playing it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Because I just thought it was such a, a, a unique and charming yes. device. Um, I was just happy that it existed. Right. And for you to have that appreciation back then is, I think is pretty cool, but not only is it such a unique looking device, the fact that it's all in one unit, but there's something really, you know, I would say compelling about the vector-based graphics in general, right? Like it's just something really unique and special. And if you put it side by side with say a Commodore 64 game of the same era of the same, you know, general timeframe, you know, I think in my, in my view, the vector stuff looks looks more modern right away. So it's almost just more more advanced. There's just something really special about it, and and uh, I can really see that having been uh, a reason to really love this thing uh, back uh, back in the day. So how long did you have that original vector, or was, or was one of the Vectri that you have today still the original, or when did did you get rid of that one, or how did that all go? You know, I think I I think I sold it um, before because I eventually moved across country and. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to take it with me. Uh, I think I would have sold it to a friend before I left. Um, so I probably had it for about five years. Um, That's a decent, decent chunk of time. And, and then you reacquired, right? You you came across uh, your 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 current Vetri. <laughs> yeah, I have. I, like I mentioned, I have two of them right now, and I think both of them I acquired uh, at Value Village of all places. <laughs> I remember going to. Um, the Valley Village in uh, in Wally, Surrey, BC, and um, I, I I found a Vectrex on the sort of the you know the electronics shelf, right? And I was very excited because I I knew exactly what it is. If you know what it is, yes. and you see it in the wild, you're like you know what it is, right? So, yeah. um, so I grabbed it and 
I, I, I don't think it was very much money. I think it might've been like $15 or something <laughs> like that. Like just crazy cheap. But then I went down uh, one of the other aisles accidentally. And then I discovered that somebody, some kid probably had this in their closet or in their basement. And then their mom cleaned it all out and just donated it all because down one of the aisles where they have all the little things in baggies, they literally had uh, the cartridge and the overlay for about seven or eight games plus another controller uh, along this wall. So I think I ended up spending about 40 bucks and I got, (laughs) you know, a pretty, amazing compliment of uh, Vectrex uh, games in a console. And then I got another one as well. I, I forget how, how I acquired the second one. It was probably just more me trolling value village, just looking for them mm-hmm. and, and looking out the one I, the two I, that I have though, one is not working and it's cosmetically in the best shape. The one that is working still looks like someone tried to like pry it open. I don't know why, um, but there's like a big pry bar mark on the side of the console. So the front looks fine. The side is just a little wonky along one of the creases. But I've I've since uh, looked up the problem that I have with the one that's not working, and it's apparently it's a very simple fix. I just need to sort of spend some time and pop it open and probably get out the soldering iron and uh, and fix it. But um, yeah. Th- it's such an interesting device and um to see it sitting there in, in the in the in the thrift store uh and i i've seen i've since seen a lot of people really luck out with finding them in various pl- shops and stuff like that around the world there's a really uh active i think it's the only facebook group for vectrex that uh, is a great resource for anyone looking to get into Vectrex or, and maybe even find one to buy. Um, the people that are in there are very passionate about the device and they they covet it uh, and, and protect it fiercely. So mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a great uh, place to just go and, and go down that nostalgia trip. What's really kind of cool though is that community is such a a, a vibrant community people have been doing all kinds of really cool stuff even to this day they're still making games for this console yes and you can buy them uh you know from a a number of different places sometimes the people will release the roms uh for free so you can use it with an emulator uh sometimes you just need to buy the the rom uh for a, a, a net new game that was literally just developed you know in the last couple of years uh but they're, they're people are going out of their way to make it very um similar in the sense that they're they're creating custom overlays mm-hmm. they're they're injection molding cartridges for the pcb that contains the rom they're um doing artwork boxes just like the originals and so you really get to to have a you know a, a new game released for a console that hasn't been around since 1984, uh, and uh, you know and it's a fairly affordable uh, cost of entry to get some of these games, and uh, so it, it's just such a really neat place to see what people are doing. I I, I find I I come in and 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 stay away from it for a while. And then I go back in and I realize what I've been missing for the last, you know, period of time that I, I was away from that community. And I see some of the amazing things that people have done, you know, with the reproduction um, uh, peripherals and accessories to the custom games. And, and uh, even the uh, sort of the 
proliferation of um, multi-cards for the device. So because this console no longer exists, you can't buy the games. Um, a lot of people that have them, they use something called a multi-cart. And uh, we're going to actually talk more about multi-carts uh, on another episode. Uh, but uh, I just thought I, I wanted to sort of point out a couple of interesting aspects about multi-carts for this console, because one of the interesting things about um, the the people that or the person that owns the sort of the uh, intellectual property for the Vectrex, they they essentially made a lot of the games public domain because they knew that there's these things weren't coming back. They weren't going to do you know a Vectrex mini or anything like that as mm -hmm. much as we would all love it. Um, but I, there's an interesting. Uh, story I read about the the Jay Smith, the the, the father of the Vectrex, um, he gave developers permission to reproduce these multi-carts and, and reproduce the games and manufacture multi-carts as long as the profit wasn't ridiculous. And um and so essentially what they what you can do, there's a number of different places to get these multi-carts. And essentially what they've done is they've compiled all of the um, official releases. There's a lot of like tweaked versions of those, like um, various hacks and various, um, uh, let's say, bug fixes. And then there's a whole bunch of like open source homebrew stuff that people have made. And the one of my favorite things that I came across uh, a couple years ago was something called Pytrex. And it's essentially a cartridge for your Vectrex that runs on uh, basically, you, you buy a Raspberry Pi Zero, you attach it to this cartridge, it sort of sits outside of the cartridge on um, some uh, GPIO pin uh, that's sort of on the top of the cartridge. And then you can basically load it with uh, all of these these games. And essentially, the, the Raspberry Pi takes over as the operating system for the Vectrex and it basically just uses the Vectrex as a display system. And what has happened as a result of that, though, people have been incredibly clever in figuring out ways to actually port not just the original um, cartridges for the Vectrex, but even some of the arcade games. Like, think of like MAME, the you know, multi arcade machine emulator versions of things like Tempest and those types of games that ran on vector graphics. But having them run those ROMs natively on the Vectrex. So there's a whole series of arcade ports that have been uh, made and they run natively in this uh, vector graphic display. And it's it's unbelievable how, how yeah. cool some of this stuff is. Yeah, it, I mean, it's just such a great, uh, some great examples there of merging new technology with old technology and creating experiences that you never would have imagined, you know, 30 five years ago or whatever yeah. the case may be that you'd be able to, to do this and to have this experience. And you also, well, you talked about the community and, and that it's a, a very active community, despite the relatively short lifespan or life cycle of the Vectrex itself, which is, which speaks, speaks a lot to the quality of, of the community that they're that, that strong. Uh, can you tell us a, a bit or tell me a bit about emulation and uh, is uh, can we emulate the Vectrex on on different devices so we can experience without having the original hardware? 
Oh yeah. For me, whenever I'm setting up a new device with emulation, the Vectrex is one of the first things that I try to run on it. If it is available as a native emulator for it, there's a, there's a lot of different emulators uh, available for pretty much, I think almost every platform I can think of, you can get the Vectrex. I mean, the simplest one is, you know, a Mac or PC, you want to just play it. Uh, you can generally find the ROMs very easily, sometimes in a full pack of all the ROMs and um, you get to try them out. Some of the, the better emulators actually have support for those uh, overlays as well, so that they're properly colored for the display. And um, it, it's it's a very, uh, it doesn't require a lot of horsepower to run uh, Vectrex very well. So, because um, the games are fairly simple in the sense that, you know, you're typically moving around something, shooting something, um, you know, there's, uh, but, what has been interesting in the homebrew community scene that I've seen is people pushing the envelope as far as what these games can do. And I've seen them on emulators, but it, nothing beats seeing it on the native hardware itself. So what people have done is they've taken things like um, uh, various music videos and and uh, certain, let's say, meme-worthy uh, visuals and stuff like that, and they've created these little demos for the Vectrex so that it runs on the vector graphics. And typically, if you get a multi-cart, you'll get a whole section of these demos, the scene demos from back in the day, but some of it's quite new. Like there's someone that took uh, some of the Queen songs and then they've made them into these little music videos you can watch. Uh, so it's it's just such a really, such a really interesting community that it's unlike any other community that I've seen in the emulation space. It's not a bunch of uh, toxic people. These are all people that are genuinely passionate about this stuff. And it just seems to be such a, uh, it's still proliferating, proliferating. I can't even speak Easy today. for you to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, there's still a lot of new content coming and, and, and mm -hmm. a lot of people working on this. Um, it's one of those things that you kind of wonder in the back of your head if if this sort of uh, revival, if you will, might prompt someone to finally like maybe reboot a Vectrex mm. device in some form, That's even if it's even if it's just an app for your iPhone. You know, like it, it wouldn't matter, but if it's somewhat official, I'm not entirely sure who actually owns the the intellectual property anymore, but um, it seems like it would be, a, you know, a good candidate for nostalgia bus for sure. And then whoever does own the IP could probably do pretty good with the community at least. Um, obviously not probably with a vector display, but those are getting harder and harder to find nowadays. But mm -hmm. so how often do you fire up your Vectrex today? Your, your real, uh, real hardware, where does that fit into your, your, your retro activities? Um, I, I'd say it's fits and spurts. Like I, I, the, the last time I really got into it is when I, uh, was offered the ability to, um, to buy a multi-cart on Facebook. Um, there's a guy, his family actually makes these, these multi-carts. They, they burn the ROMs themselves and they package them up and they, they've got this custom board that they made and they have a, a 3d printable case cartridge case for it. Um, and, I got really into it when that came out and I got that. I got really into it when the Pytrex came out. I tried everything and, you know, I check in every once in a while on, on these projects to see what new stuff has, has come out. And every once in a while I'll see something on Facebook, you know, I'll just be scrolling through my, my, um, 
my feed and somebody in the Vectrex group will post something like, oh, that's really cool. I need to go try that. And I'll, you know, grab the Pytrex cart and I'll get the memory card and I'll throw on a new demo or uh, if it's a full game sometimes. Uh, that's kind of the it's lost a little bit of the luster, you know, like it's not something I pick up every day, but when I do pick it up, it's, you know, it's definitely an afternoon of fun for me. Um, And, and I I have it fairly prominently displayed in my house. It's actually in my dining room, uh, my, my Vectrex. And so I I see it every day and and it just makes me smile whenever I see it. So man, now I'm going to go bring my Commodore 64 up to the dining room and see how fast my (laughs) wife chucks it, uh, chucks it away. That's that's awesome. So good. Right on, John. Well, that was awesome. Look, uh, in, up, up at the Vectrex and it makes me want to go fire up an, up an emulator right now. I think I'll go play me some pole position. Yeah. Yeah. That, and some of them are, are really good, like super fun to play. Um, very easy to get into and, um, definitely the uh you know the the, the demos and all the arcadey stuff that you can do with it now is just makes it that much more interesting so one of the things that i i, I found while i was sort of looking uh up at some of the vectrex stuff online just that we made sure we had all the right uh right ideas about everything was how the tv show charles in charge <laughs> figures in the vectrex lore because in one episode, one of the one of the characters is actually playing the Vectrex and Charles Chachi <laughs> Chachi yeah. Scott Bayo uh, comes in and, and unplugs it because he's trying to have a big date, uh, and <laughs> no this way. kid's playing it in his in the living room, and obviously will be uh, you know interfering in Chachi's uh, um, enjoyment of his date. Nice. So nice. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. There's a whole like there's literally. Uh, something uh, backtracks.fandom.com. There's a whole page about it with the clip in there okay. of of this kid uh, trying to play Vectrex while this uh, while Chachi's trying to have a date. We'll include that in the show notes to link to that for sure. <laughs> That's right. So, so Dave, one of the things that um, uh, I wanted to finish the show off with uh, is something that I, I stumbled across completely accidentally uh, again. The nice thing about having uh, a lot of Facebook groups in your feeds is that occasionally the most random stuff just flows past you. And one of the things that I came across uh, not too long ago is something called revive machines, revive dash machines.com. And what uh, this particular company is proposing to do is actually bring back the Atari 800 XL, my favorite, console of all time or computer of all times um uh they're they're basically proposing to do something called the rm 800 xl um according to their website which is in polish and the you know google translate probably did an okay job but uh mm-hmm. you know it, on the homepage it says it's not a replica it's a new incarnation of atari's best 8-bit computer from 1983 so this was right around the time i had my vectrex as well um so uh, basically they're designing a, a from the ground up something that looks very similar to the 800XL and they've added a few new features to it. First of all, an HDMI port, mm-hmm. USB ports. So you, you have, you're going to have the original um, peripheral ports and the DB9 joystick ports, but you're also going to have USB ports. 
and nice. it's powered by USB-C and it it looks identical. It looks like someone took an 800XL and they just literally yeah. modded it with USB and HDMI. The, the renderings look look beautiful. I don't know if these are renderings or if this is a real device that we can see, but it's it looks looks beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. yeah. I, I, I kind of think it might be rendering, but um it, it you know the fact that it works with the original cartridges as well. Yes. Yeah, uh, is is crazy. The peripheral communication port, so basically the SIO port, as it's known on the in the Atari world, it's a hundred percent in compliance with the original. It's got a parallel port, so you can plug in your old printer if you have one, mm-hmm. um, and it's got a monitor socket. So if you have one of the original Atari monitors, you could plug it into that. But I think most people are probably using HDMI to a TV or to a, a computer monitor. And then there's also a USB flash drive. So you don't need to have a floppy disk drive oh, for this. No. Um, you can just plug in a flash drive and you'll have all your game cartridges, uh, tapes and, uh, and various files. And um, I don't know, there's no price. There's no, yeah. uh, there's, there's nothing about it. Uh, not much more information. They do say that the heart, that the heart of this computer are two processors, you know, one in risk and one in FPGA. So mm-hmm. they're basically trying to make this as authentic as possible, running the native code as authentic, as authentically as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, there's still no more information about it. Yeah. Uh, and I've been actively reviewing this website, waiting for an update. Um, Cause I don't know how much something like this would cost. Right. Cause yep. this is a, this is a, a custom thing. Um, I don't know. Do they need to get a license for this? Do, yep. cause I don't know what the, you know, how the Atari, far have they, yeah. Sorry. How far have they gone into that aspect, looking into the licensing and, and have they even explored those types of things yet? Presumably they have, but you know, that could, delay you know the actual eventual release of a product obviously yeah but what i'm curious about well for, as you said if they can have a price point that is reasonable then yeah. great it all depends i guess on how many they're expecting to sell like the commodore 64 maxi which is what i would con- consider to be kind of similar equivalent maybe actually actually no it wouldn't be similar or equivalent because that's emulation we're not talking about emulation here are we we're talking no. about like actual hardware yeah. Um, and, and not, uh, not, uh, replica replicating the original hardware as opposed to emulating it. So I, I fear the price point might be too rich for my blood, but hopefully it's reasonable because it would be really cool to see these things, uh, get, uh, you know, become, uh, you know, a thing and to see them out in the wild, it would be awesome. But the, another thing that these sort of re, I know what we call these like remakes or, uh, what, what, what the genre would be, but there's, there's a Commodore, there, there's a, there are a couple of Commodore machines, at least, at least one anyway, that it looks like a Commodore 64, it kind of looks like the Commodore 64 and the Commodore 128, you know, were put in a blender and, and, and came out with, uh, something that kind of resembles the two, but more modern has all these different modern HDMI ports, ethernet, all these types of things. And the intention of that device is not to run the original software, but it's to actually, it's to be a modern eight bit computer that will actually right. run yeah. like a new, a new generation of software actually, which is kind of interesting to me too. But this looks like a device that is truly trying to replicate the original 800 XL as opposed to trying to be something different. So. Well, so. I, I, I really wonder what something like this would be like if, you know, as far as I can tell, and there's like literally no information about it, but mm-hmm. um the power is provided by 
USB-C, yes. does that also provide things like internet connectivity? Like, can you plug in uh, a network adapter? Can you, yes. Does it have Wi-Fi? Like those kinds of questions. Because I would love to use an 800XL as my computer. Yes. You know, like home driver. <laughs> home server or something like that. Yeah. I mean, at least as a terminal or, you know, yes. something, yeah, something like that. Uh, I have a number of different devices that kind of fit that bill right now. Like I have a Pi yes. top Raspberry Pi laptop. Mm -hmm. That is wonderful. Uh, I also have a dev term from, um, the, uh, basically it's, it's a portable Linux device. That's very reminiscent of the uh, Radio Shack TRS-80 Model 100 portable mm -hmm. computer. Mm -hmm. um, I would love it if something like this could work, you know, obviously not so much as a portable device, but more so as a, just an inter interesting web surfing device, you know, yes. if, if that's even possible. But I suspect that, uh, like you said, the this is an emulation. This is going to be uh, with the FPGA. And, exactly. You know, this can be yep. pretty much pixel for pixel accurate for the yep. original. And in, so you're going to be limited to whatever you can find on the Atari archives yep. uh, as far as software to run for it, run on it. Um, but I, I'm excited to see if this actually happens and if legally, I don't know, maybe because it's in Poland, they don't need the same <laughs> yeah, rules. Perhaps, perhaps. All I'll say is I just love the fact that these projects exist and that they're a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just, it just makes me so excited. And this machine looks so beautiful too. It's uh, I mean, it, it's all too familiar to you. Uh, yeah. It looks a lot nicer than the 64 side by side of the day. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's see, let's hope this thing works out and uh, comes to fruition. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's that time of the show where Dave and I are going to sign off and uh, make sure that you like and subscribe and do all the things that you know how to do with a podcast. Uh, you can find us at the 8-Bit Files on Twitter, uh, YouTube, and the 8 See you guys next time. Bye, everybody.